Hey, welcome to week two, though, of uh, our summer concert series. Um, I hope you remember this past week to begin to chop that tree, your life, in the direction you want it to fall. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to listen to the last uh, week's message. You can look that up on, uh, on our live, on uh, Facebook Live, YouTube channel, or our podcast. So, uh, but uh, I hope that's what you've been doing. Um, announcements. Uh, there are, there are in your bulletins. Uh, they are, but uh, a lot of you don't read your bulletins. Uh, I suggest you get those bulletins out and take notes. Uh, if not for nothing else, just to make me feel good about what I've done up here. Uh, so uh, today, immediately following this service, WB Kids will be having their back-to-school bash down at Watts Bar Dam. Uh, I encourage you, man, they're, they're, they have a blast down there. So, so uh, that'll be taking place immediately immediately after this. August 29th, we have our next baby dedication. If you have not signed up for that, fill out a connect card or call the office and sign up. Uh, here's, I cannot stress the importance of what I'm getting because I pushed my wife to, to have this class because it is so needful. Healing for damaged emotions. Listen, here's the thing in a church their size, we're limiting this class to eight people, eight women, uh, to be able to do, do this class effectively. So if you want a shot at being in those eight, you need to sign up in the, uh, in the lobby at the uh, welcome uh, table, uh, welcome station. Uh, I, I, it is a huge, important class. Uh, Monday night prayer, guys. We are going to be changing things up um, and we're going to take the next few weeks to, because we've got an idea of how we want to begin to do our Monday night prayer, trying to get more of our body out uh, to, to, and realize the importance of, of community prayer. So for the next few Monday nights, we will not be having prayer, and I'll announce when we're going to kick that back off. We're reformatting some things. Um, at the end of today's service, uh, somebody remind me, please, because we were supposed to do this last week. Amanda, you're a great reminder. We are supposed. We were supposed to pray over all the kids. I want to bring up our WB kids and pray for them as they're heading back to school. Uh, I would not want to be going to school right now, and or a parent that had to decide. Because I used to give homeschooled parents uh, a really hard time, but the stuff our public school teachers are being forced to teach. Come on now. Uh, I don't want our kids buying into that. I'm, how do I say this nicely? That, no, I'm not going to say it because I want to say it, but I'm not in my, huh? No, that, 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 I don't want them buying that crap. Scubula, thank you. Scubula, if you don't know what that word is, that's the Greek word for our S word. And um, <laughs> Paul actually used that word, so don't look at me. So, uh, man, our man at breakfast yesterday, James Lacombe, incredible job. If you miss it, you, yeah. If you if you didn't just miss a good breakfast, man, you a good teaching, a real vulnerable teaching. It, it was powerful. Wednesday, if you miss Wednesday, this past Wednesday, you've got more week. Uh, Tyler and Kennedy will be back up this. This is their final Wednesday with them. Uh, they will be heading back out to uh, to. Uh, to Redding, California. Uh, but man, he taught on a view from the boat. Man, it was a powerful teaching. 
I, I encourage you to come out this week. It's going to be great. Were y'all ready for today? Hey, stupid question. Anybody ever broke something? Phone? Mirror? Come on, uh, glasses? Women? Fingernail? Nothing worse than spending all that money on getting your fingernails done then it breaks. How do I know? Because my wife tells me. A bone? Anybody ever broke a bone? I've never broken a bone. Uh, it is a wonder because I've done some really stupid things. But I've never broken a bone in my life. Uh, you ever known anybody that was really good at breaking things? Come on. Some of y'all, you want to raise your hand. Like, here we go. I got Paul in the back. Hey, I'm one of those people. I can break anything. In fact, I consider it a challenge when you tell me it's unbreakable. I'll, I'll never forget, we were doing some work here. John Pete uh, uh, was part of our body at that time. He still tells this story every time we're together. Uh, but he, and he's a great, great, he can do about anything. And I told him, I said, man, don't loan me your tool. I break things. He says, Kelly, pastor, this is unbreakable. You cannot break this. Okay. 15 minutes later, I lay it at his feet. I had two feelings. One of shame that I had broken this. Two of pride that I broke the unbreakable thing. You know, so, because I'm one of those people, man, I, I just, and, and I'm one of those people too, and this is horrible, I'm better at it now. If it broke, rather than fix it, I'd just rather go get another one. Anybody else like that? I, 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 listen, I don't want to spend time. I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to have to repent for things I've said and done. So I'm just going to go get another one. I break things. Um, things break. But those are things that you can replace, right? What about other things that get broken? Relationships. Friendships. Families. Marriages. Heart. Dreams. What about the mind that gets broken? Promises. Our lives that get broken. Here's the cold reality of the world we live in. Nobody gets out unbroken. Nobody. And while we'll write cute songs about it, especially in the Christian world where we, we write a lot of songs about, oh, there's beauty in the brokenness. There's, and, and I agree with all that. But still, listen, nobody likes to be broken. We, we, we want to feel good about our brokenness. So we'll write poems, we'll write songs. But I can tell you, I hate my brokenness. Can I, am I being real enough? I hate my brokenness. There are days I despise my brokenness. There are days I despise the way I'm wired or where my wires have got crossed. And I feel like a, 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 a computer, so their wires have got crossed and now they're not functioning like they should. Come on, anybody relate? And the truth is, I don't think anybody really enjoys being broken. But it's a very real reality in the world we live in. It happens to the person that's born with a silver spoon in their mouth. And it happens to the person that's born in the trailer park. Are you hearing me? It happens to the person with the brightest outlook on life and the person with the worst outlook on life. No one gets out unbroken. So what, what do we do with their brokenness? 
We hide it. We've become really good at hiding it, especially in church. How you doing today? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored, doing great. Really? Your Facebook post says otherwise. So come on. Your crappy attitude says otherwise. We learn to just live with it. This is, this is just who I am. Come on. This is just my lot in life. We, or we overcompensate for it. Or we try to heal it on our own. Regardless of what we do, where we go, how hard we try, at the end of the day, we know this. Deep down, we know we are broken. We're broken. Uh, I, know, I know the answer to this question, but I'm still going to ask it. Anybody ever felt like you've messed up too bad to make it back? You've been too broken to ever be fixed. Yeah. One of the things I love about the Bible, is, see, if I were writing the Bible, Scott, and I wanted people to buy into this gospel, this myth, I would put the best of the best people, people that don't fall, people that don't screw up, people that don't mess up, and these would be our examples. But one thing I love about the Bible is you got real people that God chose to use. I, I mean, I, you know, if it me, I'd put Peter in the Bible. I just wouldn't talk about him denying Christ. I'd put Jonah in the Bible. That's a great story. He got swallowed by a well. But I wouldn't put him there about his hatred and racism toward a group of people. I'd put David in there. Hey, let's, of course, how he killed the giant and his many great conquests he had. But hey, I would leave out the adultery and the conspiracy to commit murder. Come on. And I could go on and go on with the people in the Bible. But the reason God put these people in there with all their brokenness is because we need to see God works through the broken. God loves the broken. Are you, are you still with me? I believe God knew that because of sin entering this world, brokenness would be the state of a lot of people, if not all people. See, here's the truth. Jesus didn't come so he could set up a museum of, un, uh, of flawless people, perfect people, people that had it all together so the rest of us could look on and feel bad about where we are. He did the exact opposite. Isaiah 61, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, if you got a Bible want to turn there, you can. If not, I'm going to bring it up on the screen. But Isaiah 61 to me describes the heart of God toward us and toward his people. It describes the very reason he sent his son to die. In fact, Jesus himself quotes this passage. I think it's over in Luke. He quotes this passage himself. Uh, uh, we're going to read verses 1 two through 3, then come back and break them down. Isaiah 61, starting with verse 1. It says, oh, I forgot y'all got this working. Hey, you just hang with me, Chloe. You do a great job. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. In verse 3, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I mean, isn't that just poetic? I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful passage of Scripture. So I want to talk a few moments about why I love this passage. And at the end of this today, hopefully you'll say, oh, that's one of my favorites too now. Let's look at verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Can you help me out there, Chloe? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor. Who? The poor. I underline that word poor if you're one of those that underline. Or I think it's actually, I've got the whole scripture on your bulletin. That word poor. Because that, that word poor is very interesting. If you look at the original language of what he says when I've come to proclaim good news to the poor, here's what it would say. Pull that up for me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the outcasts and the rejects. That's good news. Because if you don't think you're a reject or an outcast, you ain't lived long enough. But he, he says this. He, he says this. It, it describes someone with no influence. No position or honor. See, he came to proclaim them good news. What is the good news? Well, Kelly, the good news is, is the gospel. Yes, but he's about to go in detail about what it is he said I'm here to proclaim. Isaiah, the second half of Isaiah 61. He has sent me to bind up the what? Come on, say it again. The what? To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Underline brokenhearted. Because get this, the word, the Greek word used there is shavar. Here's what it means. To break into pieces. To rend violently. To wreck. To crush. To shatter. To be broken. Anybody ever felt wrecked? Crushed? See, growing up, uh, we had this uh, nursery rhyme, very feel-good nursery rhyme. It gave you a positive outlook on life. Uh, and we grew up with this. Some of you know it. You'll know it. And if you do, feel free to join in uh, so that I'm not saying this nursery rhyme by myself. But it goes like this. Uh, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses... Doesn't that just make you feel good inside? That's the nursery rhymes I grew up on. And while it's laughable, it's also sad because that's the reality. The nursery, here's what's interesting about that nursery rhyme. It can be traced back uh, hundreds of years and versions of it have showed up in at least eight different European languages. Do you know Why? Because the story of brokenness and feeling like you can't be put back together 
It doesn't know any ethnicities. It doesn't know any social settings. It doesn't know any boundaries. It goes all over the place, the story of brokenness. The story of brokenness even goes all the way back to the beginning. I mean, the beginning of history. See, the people that Isaiah is writing to, he's not writing or speaking to people that have had just a couple of bad months or a bad day or two. He's talking and writing to people whose lives have been shattered. Their dreams have been shattered. Their hopes of ever living a normal life again are gone. And that's what Isaiah is writing to. He's speaking to people that are asking the question, will my life ever be the same again? Will, Will I ever find somebody? Is there anybody that can put all these broken pieces back together again? Man, if you're feeling like that today, the good news is Isaiah says he came to bind up the crushed, the brokenhearted, the devastated. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That, those, those two words, bind up, get this, in the original uh, wording, it, it gives this, this, this idea of wholeness. He came to make whole what was broken. He came to make whole. Uh, He says, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. Uh, Scholars and theologians uh, have a couple of different opinions about when Isaiah wrote this. Uh, One is that it was written when God's children were actually in exile. They were prisoners of war. Another is that he may have been referencing when Israel was imprisoned and held captive for 400 years in the slavery of, of Egypt. But Jesus also quoted this passage. And Jesus isn't, wasn't talking about the exiles. He wasn't talking about the prisoners of war, those that came out, out of bondage, out of Egypt. When Jesus quotes this in Luke 4, he's giving a promise to people that are bound up in, and, and trapped in anything, whether it's money, sex, lust, pride, addiction, hatred, sin, racism. He said, I came to set those people free, free. Then he says this in verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's stop right there. That word favor, the original language, here's what it means, the word favor. It means pleasure, delight. Here's my favorite, acceptance. Acceptance. Why was that good news to the people where he said, uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's acceptance? Because for years, if these people wanted to be accepted, there were over 600 plus laws that they had to follow in order to be accepted. There, there were things they had to do to be accepted. But Isaiah said, hey, there's one coming, and he's going to proclaim the year of the Lord's acceptance. doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, where you're from. The Lord is going to say, man, I accept you. I accept you. Do you know what he's speaking of here? Grace. Grace. I mean, that's what Jesus came to do, bring radical grace. See, here in our culture today, you've got two sides. You've got a side that is 100% grace. And that's all they preach, grace. Hey, live however you want to, grace. Do what, I don't care what the Bible says, do, go live, but grace. 
Then you've got the other side over here that's all truth. Hey, this bam, 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 they hammered in you, and there is no room for grace. You see, Jesus just wasn't a good mix of grace and truth. He wasn't like 50% grace, 50% truth, and oh, they combined. Jesus was 100% truth and 100% grace. That's why the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, the broken felt so comfortable coming to Jesus. Because while he spoke truth to them, he said, man, but you don't have to stay there. I love you right where you are, but I love you enough that I'm not going to leave you there. 100% grace, 100% truth. Grace, see, when I say grace, man, I'm not talking about grace you say over a meal. I'm not talking about grace period on your loan or payment. Here, when I talk about grace, here's what I'm talking about, what the grace that Jesus brought. Grace means that God doesn't respond to me based on what I deserve. He responds to me based on what his son did. Amen. Grace is love that seeks you out when you've done nothing to deserve it. Grace is love that seeks you out when you've done nothing, you've got nothing to give in return for it. Grace is love that rains down in you, not based on what you've done or what you deserve. It's love that says, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for you. Grace. He says he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's grace, acceptance, and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all her more. The day of vengeance. Do you know what that word vengeance means? Exactly what you think it means. Payback. Payback. Just come on, just say that word vengeance. vengeance. Don't it kind of make you feel, I don't, just, I don't know about that. And, and, and that's because when we hear God's seeking vengeance, a lot of times we think, we think, okay, God's out to get me for all the stupid things I did or said. But the way the writer's writing this, he's saying God's vengeance upon God's enemies. The day of vengeance is coming. It's directed. I, I love what the British speaker and author Graham Cook says about this. Bring this up for me. You can't really have God's favor or grace without some kind of vengeance or payback on the enemy. Oh, what do you mean? What does vengeance or payback look like? Um, Danny, Melody, stand up for me. You're looking at vengeance on the enemy. How many, how many years clean? 20? 18. Now you lead our recovery group. You know what that's called? Vengeance on the enemy. What the enemy meant to destroy them with. What he meant to destroy them with. Hey, Tiffany, I meant for you and Casey to stand. Casey, come up here and stand with your wife. Yeah, just take your time. We're not live or anything. Just stand up there. See, you say, well, I know about Casey, 20-plus-year opioid addiction, and God set him free, clean five years. That's vengeance. But you don't know the vengeance that when Tiffany stands up here, growing up abused, growing up to feel like she was less than. You don't know the vengeance on the enemy you're looking at when you see a man that was in prison and a woman that still loved him and hung on to him 
and was ready to leave him. When I see Kai, when I see Kenley, I see the vengeance of God on the enemy. Let me see him. Glenn, Camille. Camille, how long did you, you just celebrated what, a year? Sobriety. You know what that is? Vengeance on the enemy. Glenn, how long? No, no, no. What do you mean I've only got four months? That's four months of vengeance on the enemy. Candace Wallace, 25 years an atheist. I see her creating our stage designs. I see her doing classes. You know what that is? That's vengeance on the enemy. Danny. Daniel. Nikki Perez. Stand up for me. Come on. I want people to see what vengeance looks like. It's a couple, man, that God began to deal with. And God, I've seen God work in their lives to an extent where they said, you know, we, we can't live together any longer. God's challenging us and convicting us. And I had the privilege of marrying these two, how long now? A year ago. You, when I look at these two, let me tell you this, this Puerto Rican here. He is one of the most encouraging people. I get at least once a week a text from this man just, hey, Pastor, this is what, man, dude, thank you for this. Thank you for that. I'm like, what do you say to that? Hit him back with a little, thanks. <laughs> I mean, I see vengeance. Vengeance. Jesse, you may see Jesse, stand up. Paul's not here. But I remember when this two started coming to church here. And we loved you from the start, didn't we? I remember Jesse, Pastor. And Paul was living together. Man, we were laying there in bed one night. And God said, hey, it's time to change this up. I never forget the privilege of down there on the uh, lake shore of your house of getting to do your vows. And how many, how many years sober now? 25 years sober. <laughs> Vengeance. Vengeance. Are you, man, I don't. I guarantee you, if it was your brother, your sister, your family member, your baby boy or girl, you'd be going, yes, give it to him, Jesus. <laughs> Kick him in the arse, Jesus. That's, that's British. Come on, son. It's British. I think that's okay to use. Maybe not. My wife will tell me when I get home. So That's why we'd be saying, get him. Because we, I'm telling you, when I'm in Denise and I stand up here, there's no way anybody in their right mind would have said, Kelly and Denise, you would be great at pastoring. Well, I don't think that's a great spot to say, man, but thank you. Thank you. But I don't amen it too. But here Denise and I are, nine years into this, and we would tell you every day, Listen, we would tell you every day, we don't, 
We don't do it perfect. We are still learning how to pastor. I'm still learning how to keep my mouth shut. She's still learning how to not talk with her face. Uh, There's a lot of things. This is no lie. When we go to a meeting, Denise will pray, Lord, let my mouth speak more than my face does. Because she's not very good. You tell her something, she's like, but she's getting better. She's getting better. That's those people. And in your life, man, I could go on and on and on and on. You know what, English? When I see, when I got your text about your post, about the land you were buying, and then D sharing the process, I had to go through that. You know what I was thinking? Because I was like, man, that's God's vengeance. That's God's vengeance on the enemy for this, this community. Because they don't need they don't need a clinic that they can just go into and get their prescriptions filled. But I don't know if you've ever been in the, in the restoration clinic. You go in there, somebody's praying. D may have somebody in a room casting out a devil. I don't know at the time. But it's going on down there at restoration clinic. And when I saw that, I was like, man, God. In the lobby. I do not doubt it at all. Chris Gross, when I look at you and your family, man, getting ready to marry, uh, getting marry your daughters and soon to be son-in-law next week, God's vengeance against what the enemy intended to destroy you. I'm telling you guys. See, vengeance against the enemy is what happens when God takes our brokenness. And the scars that culture tells us to hide. And God said, no, those things that you, uh, that you were trying to hide, I want to highlight to show my grace and my glory. That's what I want to do with it. Yeah. Verse 3. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. Isaiah uses a lot of imagery in this that would make you think of a funeral procession or a memorial service. Why? Because truthfully, truthfully, that's where a lot of people live. They live with this nagging reminder of loss, of what they had at one time, of what could have been. Whether it's a relationship, a job, a child, a spouse, joy or peace, they live with this feeling of loss. But Isaiah wants this group of people to know that when Jesus shows up, Everything is going to change. Anybody notice the one word that shows up in that verse? Instead. Instead. Jump down to verse 7. Shows up two more times. Pull that up for me. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will receive joy, rejoice in your inheritance. So you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. I hope you get what those two verses are saying because what God is saying, hey, you're going to get beauty instead of ashes. You're going to get joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. Instead of shame, I'm giving you a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you're going to go out rejoicing. See, if God were texting this, he would put it in all caps. He would be saying, this is what I want for you. Don't miss out. This is what I have for you. Don't miss out. I've got beauty that I want to raise up out of that ash. Yeah. 
the ashes. I mean, when you look at ashes, it's, it's the remains of something, right? The remains of, of something that used to be there. And God says, I want to exchange my beauty for the ashes of your brokenness. I want to re- exchange it for the, my beauty for the ashes of your fears, the ashes of your depression, beauty for the ashes of your failed marriage, for the ashes of your anger, of regret, of relationships, beauty for the a- ashes of the addiction that it's left you with. Nobody gets out unbroken. What do you do with that brokenness? I'm going to ask the team to come up. Nobody gets out and broken. God says, I, here's what I have for you. I know you're broken. I know you've gone through some stuff in life. I know you've got questions in life. I know things have happened to you that never should have happened to you. I know that that your tree fell in that direction, not because you cut it that way, but because of weaknesses and storms that hit your life. Nobody gets out unbroken. But what are you going to do with the brokenness? Going to hide it? Overcompensate for it? I believe this is the message for you today.